Welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary. Hi everyone and welcome back to Lo-Fi Lectionary Special Warm-Up Edition. <laughs> um, all my life is changing every day in every possible way. And oh, my dreams, it's never quite as it seems. Because you're a dream to me. Dream to me. It's so good to be back here in the uh, the Lo-Fi studio uh, getting ready to, to put out some new episodes of Lo-Fi Lectionary. We've been away kind of on a hiatus. The, the holidays got really, really busy for me at work. I work at a church, so the holidays are just crammed. And then once the new year started, it was one thing after another. I had the flu for a couple weeks, then we had the kid had the flu and my wife had the flu, so that took a lot of my attention. And then I was in a car accident where my car got totaled, and that's taken a lot of my time. But here we are. No more complaining, and uh, I am so, so excited to be back into the swing of of things here. Um, we have the research going on right now for the next uh, like three chapters of Luke, but in the meantime, I wanted to share this with you. Um, Back in the holiday season when it was really busy, one thing that was busy for me is I was actually asked to preach in the church I work in, um, which is something I get to do occasionally, and I really, really enjoy. And it was a special Sunday. It was called Christ the King Sunday, which is like a, a special moment in what we call the liturgical year. We uh, we set up the year where different Sundays signify different moments in kind of the biblical narrative. Uh, and this one happened to be the week that we... Uh, the theme of the whole entire worship services is on Christ the King, and they asked me to preach, and uh, I got really good texts, and actually one of them was from Luke, so it fit really well in with what we do in Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you're a listener to the podcast that's regular, you'll notice a lot of the same themes and even some of the research that we did for the podcast came up in the sermon, so I hope you really enjoy it. So this is a very special episode where I'm just going to... Uh, kind of give that sermon, but a, a, a lo-fi studio version. The Normally we record the sermons live and it would have been cool to put that out, but the recording system didn't work. So you're getting me here in the studio right now. Hopefully uh, I'll have the same kind of energy. So this will be fun. So I hope you enjoy it, but then tune in uh, in the next couple weeks. We'll have Luke 16 and 17 coming out. And oh guys, they are good. Um, they're the next couple chapters are ones that going into it, I was like, this isn't really my favorite part of the story. But the more I read into it and uh, did the study, did the research, I actually fell in love with them. And I think you will too. So stick around for that. But here we go. Um, this is a sermon I gave back in November. And uh, I don't have a title for it or anything. Uh, I think I called it uh, Eagles, Eagles versus Hens or something like that. And here it goes. So Today, pretend you're in the church with me, today is Christ the King Sunday, everyone. And isn't that weird? I mean, we don't have kings anymore, you know, not, not, not in America, at least not right now. We haven't for a while. And I mean, did any of us get up this morning and say, oh, it's Christ the King Sunday. I better get to church early. Like, we probably weren't very excited about it. It's kind of a minor, you know, moment or holiday, if you would even call it that, in the church year. I mean, did any of you invite your friends because you knew, like, oh, this week is Christ the King Sunday. I, I should invite people special, you know. <laughs> and that just seems kind of weird. And I, I, I laugh at it because the concept of, you know, Christ the King, does that make sense to anyone outside of 
the church, like outside of a community of people who have who have kind of put Jesus maybe at the at the center of their life, you know, as 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 a religious faith. Is talking about Christ the King makes sense to anyone, and yet every year we have this Sunday where we're like, "Hey, it's it's Christ the King Sunday." Um, so why do we do it? And I, I thought about that a lot as I was preparing for this sermon, and th- this is something I thought of that I think might be a clue as to why it might be important to think about what it means for for Jesus to be King. When when I was a kid, I was raised in a version of Christianity that said our job like as Christians, as disciples of Christ, was to go out and win arguments with people. Like like the church kind of like trained us to be defenders of the faith, to, to go out into the world and, and talk with people about God and, and win the argument. You know, so you would go to church or go to Bible study and you would read the Bible as much as you can, you know, every day at home or whatever. So you could learn as much as you could so you could go and be better at winning arguments. We, we took a kind of oppositional approach to the rest of the culture, which, which honestly, a lot of church people always tell the story as being like that the culture took an oppositional stance towards us, and it seems like we responded in kind. So in that understanding of if we believed that that was our job as Christians, the, something like Christ the King Sunday would have been all about, well, hey, everyone, let's remember that Jesus is king of the world, and hey, there's people out there who don't believe that Christ is king, so let's all go and prove to our friends and neighbors that Christ is king. And maybe you've even seen this in some different ways. Uh, You know, it's actually a popular bumper sticker or sign or church sign. I've even seen on people's houses and cars and shirts and business cards where they'll just write like, Jesus is Lord, which is kind of just another way of saying Christ is king. And even I, as a lifelong Christ follower, I'm just like, so what? <laughs> it just seems so weird. Like, why, if if you want to take the time to send any kind of a message out into the world, why is why is just that alone something that you thought was enough? Like, Jesus is Lord. Christ is King. Like, that statement alone speaks for itself, and people should know what it means. Like, it it doesn't make sense. And so here's the problem with that approach. To, to religion and to, and to living in the world, to, you know, the, the go and win arguments kind of approaches. If you read the Bible, the Bible doesn't seem very interested, almost at all, in proving that Christ is king. It, it just doesn't seem that way. I mean, the people who are writing the Bible didn't seem to need to be convinced that God existed, that God created the world, that God made everything. They didn't need to be convinced that then God ruled over the cosmos. Like this is a faith they already kind of shared and it produced this book out of their faith. So that's where those weren't the questions they were asking. What they, what they do seem to be very interested in and worried about and concerned about and that they argued about and told stories around campfires for years about was this question, what kind of ruler is God? What kind of King is Christ? The question at the heart of people who were there from the very beginnings of this religion was this, is God a good God or a bad God? A good ruler, a bad ruler, a good king or a bad king. And so therefore, I would invite us all 
here at the church or you podcast listeners to maybe echo their question as we look at a couple of texts this morning and ask ourselves, what kind of king do we believe Jesus is? Do we believe that he's a good one or a bad one? And what does it mean then for us, for Christ to be our king? So to answer that, we're going to check in with a lot of different places. We're going to talk about Ezekiel and read part of his text. We're going to check in with John the Baptist, and then we're going to talk about ancient ornithology and Roman iconography. And then we're going to read a short story with Jesus himself. And it's going to help us explore this idea of what kind of king is Jesus. Cool? So in Ezekiel, there's a passage. I'm going to pull it up here. Um, from chapter 34 of Ezekiel, and it goes like this. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flock when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the water courses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost and bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Then going on to verse 20, therefore, says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. I will save my flock and they shall no longer be ravaged and I will judge between sheep and sheep. That's the Ezekiel passage and it's, it's kind of a strange passage, um, lots, of, lots of good imagery in there, but a little bit of information about Ezekiel that help us make sense of it. Ezekiel was a priest in, in the temple in Israel, but he lived at a time where as a priest, he had to endure the apocalypse, like the, the utter ending of his world. He was a priest at the time that the Babylonian Empire came in and took over Israel. And when they took over a land, they just, they just laid everything to waste. They left no stone unturned. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, and so Ezekiel lives through this though, which means he's a person who's already had to witness the extermination of his people. And then on top of that, he's a priest who works in the temple and he has to watch that very temple be destroyed. And to them, it was like, that's where God lived. And if God's house is destroyed, where is God now? And where can he be found? Then, since he's one of the survivors, we we learn that he was actually imprisoned and taken captive and marched on foot all the way to Babylon to be like their little like prize group of people to be paraded around and kept around as as spoils from war. And so there in the midst of Babylon, like as Ezekiel, after Ezekiel's witnessed the worst horrors he could ever have imagined, he starts having prophetic visions. He once was a priest, but now he's a prophet. And God starts revealing things to him and he, he writes them down as best he can. And so he writes this passage 
that seems to be pointing towards the coming of a Messiah figure, you know, like, and the Messiah figure is God himself. Like in the language, it's reiterated again, like I myself will be the shepherd for my flock. And he's, he's returning all of his sheep from the various lands to which they've been taken. And that beginning of the passage is so good. Like, and it's so beautiful, isn't it? Like, Today, when you, when you read the language, you know, I myself will search for my sheep. I will rescue them from the places they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will feed them myself with good pasture. It's a vision of God, like coming to save the people, to be their king once again, and to like feed his people with his own hands. But then at the end, it turns, doesn't it? Like, I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Like, you have to go into Batman voice there at the end. Lego Batman's one of my favorite movies with my kid. If you haven't seen it, go see it now. Um, but it's like, yeah, I will feed them with justice. And he, he, he declares vengeance upon the people that have harmed his sheep, you know. Um, and... We hear Ezekiel, like, having had this experience with God, then writing it down and reflecting on it. And it's he's left with these two different images for God. Like, on one hand, the shepherd who feeds the sheep with his own hands by good pasture and water courses. And in the other, it's the destroyer who lays to waste. And the question that Ezekiel and his people had as they waited and tried to make sense of what happened to them and as they waited for salvation or hope to come was, was this Messiah that God was going to send going to be the shepherd or the destroyer? And we should maybe feel their tension there. It's the same tension we often feel today. I think like, which God are we going to get at any moment today? The one who punishes and lays waste or the one who loves tenderly and offers mercy again and again to no end. Ezekiel struggled with that. And it's really a struggle throughout the entire Bible that people have when they experience the realities of the life they live in and yet the God that they worship. And we, we can jump forward to John the Baptist because John the Baptist becomes kind of a, he kind of mirrors Ezekiel's tension a lot. I mean, and John in the book of Luke is, is, is said to have been given the job to be the one who prepared all the people for the Messiah who is going to come. And so we have to imagine John, if he understood that this was supposed to be his job, like he was like, okay, I'm supposed to be a prophet. I've been raised for this, bred for this, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. Um, educated for this, trained for this, then he must be kind of, I would imagine him carefully reading over all the stories and the scriptures of his people, everything from what we now call the Old Testament, but he would have just called, you know, the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the writings, um, to try and figure out, well, who is this Messiah going to be and what am I should be looking for? What is this king who's going to come and save us going to be like? And therefore, how do I get these people ready for it? And so we see in the book of Luke, like John gives these sermons where it seems like he's decided where to land on that tension, because his sermon goes like this. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, Batman voice. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, 
but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Like, and actually when I gave the sermon, I, I, I had a, a pitchfork ready as a prop and I kind of, I picked it up while I was reading that text and I was, I was kind of jabbing it at the air and I kind of lay the visual down. I, I, I try to have fun with it. Um, and that's what John says. Like, he, this is who he thinks the Messiah is going to be and what the work of the Messiah is going to be like. This is what he thinks the 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 king that God is sending is going to be doing in the world. And so we see in the book of Luke when Jesus actually shows up and Jesus gets baptized by John, the spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And the dove we know from the Noah story and the Jonah story is the bird who shows up when the judgment is over which is an interesting twist. And so Jesus starts his ministry and he goes around and he parties with sinners and he just he just heals people and he touches suspicious folks and he hangs out with anyone and women and tax collectors and lepers become his followers. And he just goes around at the beginning of his ministry pronouncing God's favor on everyone. And so it's no surprise when John expected something very different that he has a crisis moment. And so later on in the book of Luke, John like sees his end coming. He knows he's in trouble with the king and he know he believes he's about to die and he's in jail. And so he calls his followers to him and he says, go and ask Jesus, are you really the right one? Are you really the king we've been waiting for? He has to ask because he's not sure because Jesus has turned out to be a very different kind of king than John expected. So John is confused. And the story of humanity, the story of history, often looks like the stories of all these kings and queens, emperors, governors, senators, colonizers and conquerors, powerful people, wealthy people, landowners, business people, the beautiful people and the successful people. It seems like it's their story, often. And that story, when we look back on it over thousands of years, is almost like a bloody history of them vying for control and power and wealth and using people to fulfill their, their, their greed and their ambition. Like we, It's just story after story of kingdom and empire and corporation being built off the backs of oppressed persons and slaves and poor folks. And the story of Jesus is the story of God coming as a new and different kind of king. It's the story of God, if you believe it, saying that we don't need another kind of king, another kind of leader, another kind of boss like the ones we've had that have been controlling history for so long. I mean, this king in this story is born not in a palace but a manger, this king is waited on by filthy shepherds, is born itself under the air of scandal to a poor couple and a single mother from a rural town, who a couple that will have to flee as refugees once his birth is over as soon as it happens. It's a king who rules the world by serving it and loving it, not by conquering over it, and not by winning and dominating it by, by actually dying at the hand of other people in the world. That's what we come together to remind ourselves of on Christ the King Sunday. And isn't that strange? 
Like, Jesus is the king who loses and who believes that there was a better way for people to go. I mean, yes, you could try and say, Kevin, let's fast forward in the story and get to the resurrection because that's Jesus winning over death. Like, that's a huge win. But it's not like even in those post-resurrection stories, Jesus goes around to get everyone who's hurt him and who took part in his death to get them. Like, he's not going around with the fork to winnow people out and toss them into fire in the way that John imagined. Instead, once Jesus comes back, he doesn't go after his enemies. He sits on a beach and he invites his friends and others to come around him and he just eats some fish. They have a barbecue. <laughs> like, that's the real king of the world. <laughs> and so, Kevin, I know what you're saying right now. You're saying, Kevin, when are you going to get to the ancient ornithology that you promised? And so here we go. So eagles and hens. So nothing better encapsulates how Jesus, to me, how Jesus sees himself as king than this passage that comes up in Luke 13. In the ancient world, Eagles were a symbol of a particular kind of might and power. Like, so in Rome, in the, in the Roman Empire, the eagle was seen as the sign of the emperor's military dominance. So the emperors themselves were called sons of God, interesting connection to Jesus, and who believed they bore the power of the gods themselves, like as they ruled and as they went into conquest and things like that. And so they would make these little eagle statues and they would put them on the top of little poles and the, the statues were called aquilas. And if you, if you, if you Google it, you can see pictures of these, of these eagles. If, if, if you saw this live at the church, I actually had a picture of one and I had it on a pole. Um, and these eagles to show that they bore the power of the gods in the eagle's claws, often they would, they would depict it as holding thunderbolts in its hands. So if you think of Zeus as being like the God of thunder, like the highest God, like this was like, these embers are the sons of the gods. Like they hold the same power. You know what I mean? And they would, they would put these eagles on these poles and each legion in the Roman army had someone who was given the job of being the Aquilifer, the person who actually, their job was just to carry the pole with the eagle on it into battle. And um, and as you carried it, it was supposed to be a frightening thing. Like, like if you were an opposing army, you were reminded of who was coming after you to just lay you to waste. And so they would carry this eagle pole and you're supposed to be kind of scared and intimidated by it. So actually, if you saw me do this live, I actually had the eagle on a pole and I was like, ah, I was like jabbing it at the crowd a little bit, like um, at the audience, um, just to kind of have some fun and, and kind of lay the point home. Um, and that's kind of like how the eagle was seen as a symbol in, 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 in ancient cultures, um, it, particularly in Rome, but also in some others. And we actually see this showing up in the Old Testament um, passages from Israel as well. So the eagle is also there, a sign of um, military power and punishment over enemies. So it talks about God as being like an eagle that's swift to, to devour people that strike at his people. And it would talk about um, when people got converted to Israelite religion, a, a, a turn of phrase for that would be that, oh, you were gathered under the wings of the eagle. Like you became one of God's people and he was gathering you together for his protection but that protection was like a deadly, vengeful, scary protection. You needed to be scared of this God because he was an eagle ready to strike and devour. And so we get Jesus in, uh, in Luke 13 and we get to this passage. I'm going to read it. It goes like this. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Herod was the, 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 the king governor of Israel at the time. And Jesus replied, go tell that fox. 
I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. So Jesus is, is told by these Pharisees, hey, the, the, the king is, is coming to get you. He wants to kill you. So even here we have the king of Israel and he's acting like the Roman kind of king. He's acting like the eagle kind of king. He's living out this eagle role who sees when he has enemies, he has the power of the gods to go and to strike and to kill. Because Herod thinks that that's just what you do when you're king. That's what a king does. But Jesus here uses the language of the Old Testament. You know, he wants to gather the people together under their wings, but as a hen and not as an eagle. He takes the same concept that they have of God and then puts a very deep and important twist on it to teach the people something about what it really means to be the Messiah, to be the king, to teach them what God is really like. He's like a hen protecting her young, gathering them together, giving them a safe place from their enemies. The hen puts herself in the line between those they love and the foxes and the eagles of the world. And the hen doesn't strike and devour, but the hen surrenders her life on behalf of those that she loves. That's what Jesus thinks a king does. That's what Jesus thinks a king who can save the world is like. And so the story of Jesus, as, as his followers have carried it on and told it to each other over now a couple thousand years, and who believe it and carry it and put it in their hearts, it's a story itself of people saying, no, this, the hen, is what it means to be king. This is who God really is. And at this point, I had a second poll with just a picture of a hen with baby chicks on it instead of the scary eagle with the thunder and the lightning in its, in its hands. It's people getting together saying, that is not what God is like. God is not the eagle. God is the hen. God is not a bird of prey, devouring, swooping, destroying. God isn't in the business of dominating the world to fuel his own greed. And God isn't the kind of king who takes whatever God wants from the subjects. God is the one who is out there protecting and gathering and loving. God's not hiding away somewhere in a safe palace living a life of luxury while the dirty work is done outside. God is the vulnerable baby in the manger and the fragile Jesus who dies to protect what he loves. God doesn't save the world by shedding the blood of evildoers and the blood of his enemies. God saves the world by shedding his own blood. God's not the eagle, you guys. God's the hen. And so when we read this story and we're challenged by it, we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe that this story is true? I mean, do we believe as 
as people or, or even some of us who consider ourselves Christians or Christ followers, disciples, whatever label you want to put that on, put on that, do we believe that the hen way in the world is the right and best and good way to be? Do we believe that this is true? Like to say that Christ is king is saying the hen way is the real, good, right way to just be in the world and to create beauty and to save and to gather and protect. And that's hard for us because we are truly a people that worships power and wealth and success. We are a people that worships winning. And what would happen if we started singing? I mean, even in our songs in churches and in religious circles, like we sing songs about Jesus who presents himself as a hen and not an eagle, but it's almost like we're uncomfortable with that. So we, we always defer back to singing songs about God's strength, God's power, God's might, God's dominion, God being Lord. You know, there's lightning in his fists in a lot of our songs. And what would happen if we started singing different songs instead about that praised God and talked about how good it is that God is vulnerable or weak or hungry or poor? Like, yay, God, you came and you were poor. Like, that would be strange. But maybe that's the only real way to truly worship a strange hen-like God. Like, can we worship a God that was a willing victim of violence at the hands of the powerful? It would just be weird. It would be as weird and strange as walking into a room and seeing a bunch of people gathered around worshiping, bowing down to a chicken instead of bowing down to a golden eagle. Because there's something in us that sometimes we'd rather have the eagle God Am I right? When we get angry or hurt, don't we sometimes want to say, God, I wish you were the eagle. And we even pray and worship as if God was the eagle. It's like we're trying to dress a hen up in eagle clothes. Um, one of my favorite stories that I ever got to hear, I was when I was in seminary, um, and, and this is my version from what I remember hearing about the story. So it, it could be wrong. So don't like, you know, I, you have to take it for what it is. It's it's, it's my paraphrase of this, but I got to study with a, um, a teacher named Craig Keener. He's a great scholar and I got to, to meet him and not only take classes with him, but to, to learn from him, you know, here and there and to interact with him outside of class. And I was, I always loved hanging out with him. Just, just a really great guy. And, um, one time in class, he told this story. So I guess he told it publicly, so I don't feel bad like sharing it with you all here now. Um, Craig was a really interesting guy, um, and he had a big heart for um, the Christian churches in Africa. And so um, there were there were always these stories going around about Craig and his wife and about how um, they lived very, very simply. They lived in student housing and stuff like that. And we had heard that they chose to live that way so they could save as much money as possible to send money to, um, to pastors and churches and schools and stuff like that in Africa to just provide aid to people that needed it. And, and so I always thought that that was a really cool thing about Craig. Um, and in so doing, we actually had a lot of students at our school and seminary who were from Africa and, and Craig would build really, really great relationships with them. And one time he told the story that one of his students came to him um, after class or somewhere and said, uh, you know, Craig, 
um, I just received word from, from home and the people in my village or, or in his church, I can't remember, have been attacked by people of a different faith. And there's been basically a terrorist attack on, on my, my home. And that's all I know. So I don't know what's happened. And I don't know if anyone in my family or my friends or my town or my church has survived even. And I might not know for a while until news can get to me. I'm really scared. Would you please pray with me? And so Craig is like, of course. And so they, they sit down to pray and, 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 and this man is, uh, is kind of, you know, is forlorn, is sad, is, is depressed, is, is frightened. And so Craig volunteers to pray first. And Craig described his prayer as being something like this. And the, I, I don't remember the exact words, so I'm totally going to paraphrase. He's like, he, and he, he said that he used words from the Psalms and, and, and in the Psalms, there's, there's these angry Psalms where, um, where the writer actually curses their enemies and, and, and praise that God would, would vanquish their enemies and strike with great violence and vengeance upon these evildoers. And that's how Craig prayed. He was like, God, please, please stop them. Please strike them down where they are to protect these people that this man loves so dearly. And he prayed for a while. And then when he stopped, um, his friend from Africa started to pray. And his prayer went something like this. Dear God, I know that you are a merciful and good God and that you love these people who would make themselves our enemies. And so I pray for them because they don't know you like I know you to be a good and true God. And I pray that you would have mercy on them even as they are striking at people I love dearly. And Craig said that there was a silent moment and there was a silent moment in our classroom as Craig got to that part of the story. And we, Craig waited a beat and then he said, I think my friend had the better prayer. <laughs> um, and I love that story. And, and when I read the story about Jesus and the eagle and the hen, it's like Craig prayed for an eagle, from, for God to be the eagle, to strike and to defend through violence. And his friend prayed knowing that God is truly a hen. And yet sometimes we have to sit with that tension of, of wondering which one is do we, are we going to believe today? And which one are we going to let be our focus of worship today? And which one are we going to model our lives after today? Because if Christ is king, and if he surrenders his power and his dominion and his violence to be instead a king of love and peace, what do we do with that? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Because we live in a world where it just often feels like all the eagles are winning. And it's scary and it hurts. And so we are left with questions where we say, is Jesus really king? Is God really as loving and as merciful as Jesus is? And is that way really the best way for us to be in a world that is hurtful and scary? 
And do we believe that God is a God who has put down the winnowing fork to pick up the shepherd's staff? Is that what God is really like? And if we believe that that's true, then we have to to accept the challenge for ourselves of then asking the question, how am I becoming more like Christ the King, like the hen? And how are we as a community becoming a community that looks more and more like a community of hens instead of eagles? And how are we teaching and training each other and raising our kids to be hens and even even in a dangerous world, and not to be eagles. Am I willing to give up my own quest for wealth and power and ego and success to become more like Christ in vulnerability, discomfort, and sacrificial generosity? And so, podcast friends, Maybe today can be a little mini Christ the King Sunday for us. Maybe we can all stop and first just be thankful, sit in wonder. I mean, if we believe that Jesus is, is real, and if we believe that Jesus is God, or even if you don't believe those things, but you just really believe that being a hen is the best way to be in the world, we can sit and be in wonder about that and how beautiful that is. And how good that is that there are others in the world who are gentle and graceful and who surrender their wealth and their success to help and to serve. And if we believe in God, maybe we would also sit and wonder that God is a hen. And that's a wonderful, good thing. And we can be thankful that God has decided that that's the kind of king that we need God to be. That God is not a king who is trying to get anything from us, but to give everything to us. That Jesus is not one who's trying to winnow us out, but gather us in. We have a king who loves. And may that love, if we can sit and be in wonder and awe of it, if we can enjoy it and let it invade our lives, maybe that love can set us free to take on the daily task of being hens in this world. Because I think our world so desperately needs us to be hens and not eagles and to show a new way forward just as Jesus did. And I think that's good news. Thanks, you guys, for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. We are back in the swing of things. I... There's a smile on my face right now, bigger than any I've had in a while. So thank you for listening. Um, It's going to be good for my heart to work on the next couple episodes coming out over the next few weeks. I'll see you then. Please help us spread the word. You'll hear the tag soon. Share it on Facebook or just um, interpersonally. Or, hey, call a friend on the phone and be like, hey, listen to this podcast. And I thought, you know, the guy's voice is kind of high and he says, um, a lot. But, you know, it's pretty good, you know. Oh, man, my insecurities. There we go. So thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you later. Have a great weekend. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review 
subscribe and share the podcast any way you can. Um, the more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. Uh, if you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net and follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, you can also find our podcast on Facebook, and we can discuss and, and keep things going on there. Uh, just search Facebook for Lo-Fi Electionary, and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lofi at kevinlester.net, and that's lofi with no dash, so L-O-F-I at kevinlester.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lofi kevin with no dash again, so at lofi kevin. Um, that's kind of it, so thank you for coming, and we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you for listening.